Out of Austin, Texas, you're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Bueno, it is another day of podcasting here on Colin. Colin.com. Go ahead and just invite all these people, which has been done. Okay, so we're going to wrap up the final three pages of Glenn Beck's Great Reset chapter on modern monetary theory. So let's just get there right now. Okay, so we're at the Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. So this is MMT in America. When I first heard about the concept of modern monetary theory, I, probably like you, thought it was nothing more than yet another delusional fantasy concocted by ivory tower elites that had as much chance of becoming reality as I have of winning a gold medal in figure skating at the next Olympics. Just to be clear, I'm not exactly a graceful ice skater. This is Glenn Beck. Uh, But if 2020 taught us anything, it is that the groundwork for a large-scale shift to modern monetary theory has already been laid. Thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, the United States appears to be on the MMT train at this very moment, even though most Americans still have never heard of the concept. In the aftermath of the Great Recession of 2008, politicians began constructing a plan to stimulate the economy. Competing plans outlined ways to get people back to work and stabilize the markets. After much negotiating between reckless politicians, the Republican and Democratic parties, President Obama signed into law the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009, a plan with a $830 billion price tag. At that time, many conservatives chastised Obama for being fiscally reckless, while liberals celebrated Obama for taking bold action to save the country. However... In 2019 and 2020, MMTers like Kelton called Obama basically a conservative when it came to fiscal policy, and congressional Republicans and the Republican president passed legislation that in a single year added more money to the national debt than nearly every other president in history did during their full terms in office. This proves that modern monetary theory has already moved from being a fringe concept supported by a small band of mostly unknown academics to a mainstream practice embraced by politicians both in the GOP and the Democratic Party. Additionally, some of MMT's biggest names have risen to the highest rungs of power in America. As I mentioned earlier in the chapter, Kelton served as the chief economist of the Democratic Party's staff on the U.S. Senate Budget Committee and as a key economic advisor to Bernie Sanders during his 2016 and 2020 presidential campaigns. Kelton also served on Joe Biden's 2020 Unity Task Force, where she heavily influenced Biden's platform and first-year policies. Just one decade ago, MMT academics like Kelton were being laughed off out of the room. Today, they're advising presidents and congressional budget committees, and the popularity of modern monetary theory is likely to grow within the academic community in the years to come, especially in the wake of George George Soros' hidden and strange infatuation with a small liberal arts college in upstate New York. 
At a January 2020 speech before the, you guessed it, World Economic Forum, Soros announced that he was launching a new kind of global educational network to, quote, advance the values of the open society, including Soros's commitment to internationalism. Soros pledged $1 billion to the new association, which he named the Open Society University Network. Interestingly, interesting. <laughs> The two colleges leading the network are Central European University, a graduate college in Vienna, founded by Soros, and Bard College, a small liberal arts school in the United States that enrolls about 2,200 2, undergraduate students. So Soros also named the 2020 the president of Bard College, Leon Botstein, as the Open Society University Network's first chancellor, a position Botstein had filled while continuing to serve as Bard's president. Huh. So even more remarkably than less than seven months after Soros announced the creation of the Open Society University Network, his Open Society Foundations agreed to give Bard $100 million. Boy, George Soros sure loves Bard College. If Bard sounds familiar to you, it's probably because earlier in this chapter I mentioned it was when discussing L. Randall Ray and Pavelina Chignerva, two of the world's leading modern monetary theory economists, both of whom work as influential professors at Bard College. Bard is also home to Levy Economics Institute, the epicenter of modern monetary theory scholarship. Not only does the Levy Economics Institute feature the work of Ray and Chernerva, I'm going to screw this up, and other MMT academics and organize in the international conferences on modern monetary theory, but it also counts as one of the researchers of the queen of modern monetary theory, Stephanie Kelton. So now I suppose it is that it is possible, it is just a coincidence that George Soros chose to make Bard College the mecca of modern monetary theory movement and the leading institution in Soros's new $1 billion global education network. I'm just going to have a sip of... Thank you. So I suppose it is possible that there is some special reason not related to modern monetary theory that Soros has decided to give the college $100 million to name its president, the chancellor of his international network, but in my experience, when it comes to Mr. Soros, there is no such thing as a coincidence. I cannot prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, of course, but I am willing to bet that the reason that Soros is building his new educational network around Bard College is because of the small school's devotion to modern monetary theory, and because Soros knows that if modern monetary theory were to be fully embraced by leading U.S. institutions, it would be inevitably push the entire world towards a more centralized governing structure, one that would give powerful elites a control over nearly every economic decision, either directly or indirectly. This is the goal that Soros has been working towards for decades, and with a modern monetary theory system fully in place, he, as well as supporters of the Great Reset, know it could finally become a reality. Fueling the Machine like elite's plans to create the Federal Reserve System more than 100 years ago, embracing MMT will probably start with a meeting of the country's most powerful government officials, 
bankers and business people who will travel from every corner of the globe to devise a plan to reset the world economic system. And when they do, I'm sure they will erroneously assure the American people that creating trillions of new dollars out of thin air and disregarding the national debt would open the door to a new era of economic growth. Thanks to this book, you'll know why you shouldn't trust them. And thanks to this book, if you see Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi and Stephanie Kelton dressed as duck hunters and boarding a train, you'll know exactly what's going on. The Great Reset is a machine manufactured to usher in a new, highly sophisticated, technologically advanced 21st century brand of international fascism, one with a corporatist twist. But powerful machines like the Great Reset cannot operate without fuel. This is what modern monetary theory provides by offering seemingly endless amounts of money that could be used to pay for just about anything government, corporations, and financial institutions can dream up. COVID-19 created the conditions for the machine's existence. Without a current global crisis that could normalize modern monetary theory and burn down well-established economic and societal norms, uh, the world would never have allowed the Great Reset to emerge as a viable option. People like Greta Thunberg could have screamed and shouted and shamed all day long, but it never would have resulted in the quote-unquote progress that she wanted because everyone else in society had way too much to lose. But as important as COVID-19 has been for the Great Reset, it is climate change that provides the key long-term justification for a far-reaching, sustained transformation of society without a decades-long existential crisis for governments and business leaders to rally around the coronavirus pandemic would be nothing more than a fleeting public policy challenge, a large one, no doubt, but temporary, thus not useful for the sort of grand structural changes dreamed up by the Great Reset's leaders. It is climate change policies, some of them, fueled by modern monetary theory that ultimately provide the foundation upon which can be built the new world order that Greenpeace, as Jennifer Morgan alluded to in her Great Reset presentation before the World Economic Forum in mid-2020. But what exactly does that new world look like? And that is the topic of the next chapter, The Great Reset, Building a 21st Century Fascism Machine, which we will get to. Yes, yes, we will get to it. Okay, I see we have Nate and Josh and Mace and Shane with us. I'm going to gently clear my throat. I'm gently clearing. Um, I wanted to go to this this editorial from Fee quickly. I'll read, you know, the first few graphs. It's not that long of a read. Um, so I'll just, I'll just donate it here. How the modern monetary theory experiment lost badly to basic economics. So if you ha- haven't been Staying on the MMT train for the entire chapter, this might be a more concise, you know, debate piece or think piece toward um, modern monetary theory in the slant that I'm slanting it, okay, because we're not in favor of it. (laughs) So it would be good to get a contrapositive or someone who has a rival viewpoint to come talk and share. You know, I'm certainly not an economist, but I don't like the way that we've been positioned. So, modern monetary theory was the mumble rap 
of politics and economics in the late 2010s. The theory was incoherent and unsubstantial, and before the pandemic, you could not avoid it if you wanted to. People across the country celebrated MMT. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democrat congresswoman from New York, heralded MMT by proclaiming it it absolutely must be a larger part of our conversation on government spending. The New York Times and other old guard news sources authored countless articles raising the profile of MMT while universities scrambled to hold guest lectures with prominent economists like Dr. L. Randall Ray. Senator Bernie Sanders went as far as to hire MMT economists to his economic advisory team. So the most fundamental principle of MMT is that our government does not have to watch its wallet every day like you do. So MMT contends that the government can spend as much as it wants to on various projects because it can always print more money to pay for its agenda. Soon after MMT became fashionable in the media, the once dissident economic theory left from being the obscure fascination of Tweety professors smoking pipes in universities to the seemingly deliberate policy of the United States government. When the pandemic hit, many argued that MMT was the solution to the pandemic's problems. So books like The Deficit Myth uh, by Dr. Stephanie Kelton, who was mentioned in the book, became the New York Times bestsellers, and the United States embarked on a massive spending spree without raising taxes or interest rates. Attempting to stop the spread of COVID, the state and federal governments coordinated to shut down nearly every business in the United States. Then, following the model of MMT, the federal government decided to spend and spend and spend to combat the shutdown, and it had just imposed. So, both Republican and Democrat-controlled administrations and Congresses enacted trillions of dollars of COVID spending. They both did this. They both did this. So, it is not hard to see that this spray-and-pray mentality of shooting bundles of cash into the economy and hoping it does not have any negative consequences was ripe for massive inflation from the beginning. Despite what MMT proponents may want you to believe, there is no way to abolish the laws of supply and demand. When there is a lot of something, it is less valuable. Massively increasing the supply of money in the economy will decrease the value of said money. MMT economists seem woefully unaware of this reality prior to the pandemic. Lecturing at Stony Brook University, Kelton attempted to soothe worries about inflation by explaining that in the modern economy, the government simply instructs banks to increase the number of dollars in someone's bank account rather than physically printing the U.S. dollar and putting it into circulation. Somehow, through means that were never entirely clear, this fact was supposed to make people feel better. In reality... There is no difference between changing the number in someone's bank account or printing money. In both cases, the result is the same. The supply of money has increased. Evidence of MMT's inflationary effects are now everywhere. Prices are skyrocketing. The most striking monuments to the failures of MMT are the price tags on every good you pick up at the grocery store. The Consumer Price Index has recorded an 11% increase in the price of food and a 33% increase in the price of energy. Housing prices are through the roof. I have a little little item here from Bloomberg that demand is slowing down for housing as a result of this. So, housing prices are through the roof while every economic indicator signals that the U.S. economy is sliding into a recession. This once transitory inflation has become a long-term state of malaise for the economy. 
Ironically, now that MMT has been implemented, no one wants to talk about it anymore. Since the first signs of inflation began to surface in late 2020 and early 2021, there has been a nosedive in the discussion of MMT. Yeah, just put that away, just throw it in the closet. Nothing to see here, folks. Keep keep moving, move on. According to Nexus Uni, there were about 5,000 mentions of MMT in the news and academic articles at all between 2019 and the end of 2021. This year, there have only been about 700 mentions. The economic fashion du jour has quickly become the emperor's new clothes. So, however, even midway into the pandemic, MMT's architects were unrepentant. Kelton credited MMT with delivering the shortest recession ever in U.S. history, which was true only to the degree that a band-aid covers a stab wound. And MMT masked the symptoms of the COVID recession while the wound festered and became gangrenous. And now, around a year after Kelton gave her lecture bragging about the success of MMT, the American economy is contracting. So MMT may be modern, but it has nothing to do but revive old problems. Stagflation has returned. People have been paid to not work, while business has struggled to find employees, and the financial markets now sit atop numerous bubbles. In many ways, MMT has proven to be nothing more than a supermarket sweep style grabbing all the worst economic phenomena of the 1970s, social welfare, and the 2008 crisis, which is, that's all poison. Okay, so the only responsible choice is to discard MMT policy, now clearly a disproven theory, into the trash heap of history. (laughs) Okay, and Kelton in her TED Talk quoted Margaret Thatcher in an attempt to display fault and antiquation in the Iron Lady's thinking, but Thatcher's quote is more relevant to MMT and economics today now than ever. Quote, let us never forget this fundamental truth. The state has no source of money other than the money people earn themselves, Thatcher observed. If the state wishes to spend more, it can only do so only by borrowing your savings or by taxing you more. There is no such thing as public money. There is only taxpayers' money. This was written by Kellen McGovern-Jones, an academic journalist and editorialist uh, in the Western Journal. Oh, yeah, and also the Daily Caller. Okay, we'll take your calls now. Go ahead, Nate. Sorry to make you wait. (laughs) Nate, you are up. So, while we're waiting for Nate to log in. Oh, there he is. Hey, Nate, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, Sheila? All right. It is Monday, um, oh, and it is so monetary it, monetary theory day. Yes, so I, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I read you. Um, so, you know, I had a thought. It's kind of like a. It's it's a little bit like uh, the biggest money laundering scheme the world has ever seen. Because think about it. So the government hands out dollars, especially now when they hand out dollars to bail out large corporations you know i really don't know how the tax structure works but you know if you're getting money from the government you're probably going to be pay tax on those dollars right so if you're talking about a way to create money out of thin air which then the government gets a certain percentage of it seems like a uh, there's something that's really really kind of twisted about it I, in a number of ways but I just, uh, you know, and I am not an economist, so I'm sure there's probably um, people listening 
that are... Let's all say it together. I am not an economist, but the economy affects me. Go ahead. There we go. (laughs) So, but it's it's just one of my thoughts about one of the pitfalls of, uh, or one of the, I guess, uh, results of giving people money. I mean, not only are you going to have increased inflation, uh, when you have people, when you artificially allow people's ability to outstrip uh, supply, um, you're going to get inflation, right? You're just going to get it. And uh, you can call it what you want. You can, you know, have a PhD and pat yourself on the back for being really creative. And I think that's what a lot of these people do. But um, when it comes down to it, I think the only reason we can get away with it right now is that we have the most powerful military on the planet. And if, you know, if, if someone tries to do something through complex financial mechanisms that that would uh, put that at risk, you know, at the end of the day, we have, I mean, we do have immense, immense financial resources and immense, mm-hmm. uh, you know, physical resources to, to bring to bear on anybody. So it's, um, you know, I think really it, it could only be us that that now others might agree with it. But I think in terms of executing it and in terms of printing money the way that we have, I think we, you know, we're an we're an outlier. Uh, but that doesn't mean that at the end of the day, the U.S. citizens aren't going to pay a heavy price. And, yeah, and we, and we are. We're just doing it now. It's all happening live as we in real time as we. As we see here, I see a, a live chat comment here from Charlie. Inflation is from the Ukraine war, COVID supply chain shocks, corporate price gouging. All those things are true. And probably uh, probably white supremacy somehow. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, if, if white supremacy means like these Russian white slobs beating the hell out of each other somehow and being able to run away with the U.S. pocketbook as, as a means of white supremacy, I I don't know how, but, you know, you could probably put a white supremacy tag on everything. I feel like I've been toilet papered with white supremacy, and I'm not even, you know, I'm not even 100%, you know, in that region. So, well, it, it, to me, it doesn't really I feel matter. Like, I really feel like America's been toilet papered with, with, with white supremacy. Just like, it's you're white supremacy because... <laughs> Because I say so, and because I licked your doorknob, and because because I want to be a mean spirit. <laughs> it's ultimately if you disagree with me, and you Just what you're saying you is up. perceived to be patriotic in a uh, you know it's interesting how many different ways it can be molded to you know to shut somebody up. But really, that's just like calling somebody a racist. It's really just a it, it's a it's a vehicle to silence somebody. That's how I see it. Unless you're talking and, about somebody with a Nazi symbol and who's clearly, uh, you know, going against. I, I mean, they make clear statements. There, there's a lot of people who didn't realize that you know they were just they were just kind of humbling along through life, and they're like, "Did you know I was a white supremacist?" <laughs> <laughs> They're they're just they're just doing their thing, you know. They're they're fixing their flat tire on a freeway, and you know, like, wait a minute, everything I do is racist right now. And so, well, because when you're privileged, when you're privileged, but you don't confess your privilege, then you're part of the problem. Oh boy, that whole that confession is... thing that that becomes like a religious. 
that adopts kind of like a religious this is not my religion so I'm clear on this I have I have utter clarity about this so when somebody gets to the the whole like apologize to Whitey or apologize for Whitey or or something like that it's so confusing I'm so confused because anti-racism is just racism repackaged so that that they can try to launder it legally against white people because there's some sort of revenge agenda. So, um, it, so Thomas had, slavery... oh, I just want to break in here. Oh, yes. Thomas, Thomas had something to say. Um, money supply only f- affects inflation when it oversaturate, uh, oversaturates the money velocity and inflation is the aggregate increase in the cost of goods. That is the textbook definition. Okay. So I'm going to invite, Nate to come up uh, to speak, and then also let's see if we can get Thomas to come up to talk, and also Charlie to come up to talk. I'm gonna pick on you. Howdy, howdy, hey. Yeah, go ahead, Thomas. It's been a while. How are you doing? And then Bloody also. Doing good, doing good, doing good. You know, it's one of those uh, Monday afternoons that everybody dreads. Um, <laughs> the start of the work week, right? Um, it's like you got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> yep. Office yep. Space is like one of my favorite films ever. So there will be um, there will be multiple and unending inferences to Office Space through the through the tour of this podcast. Um, so go ahead. So yeah, I mean, uh, just to point out a couple things. I mean, you know. Um, the uh uh yes we're printing money yes um money is uh you know we do know that on on net a lot of money flows upwards it moves into the uh uh wealth of of the uh you know top top you know three to one percent is that you is that you thomas i mean i I know it's not me you know it'd be oh no no it's not me it's not me so 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 money is being extracted from circulation and moving from what is effectively high velocity when it's in the hands of the masses to low velocity when it's in the hands of wealth um the, the the pinnacle of wealth let's say um and so you know um we're we're taking the money out of active circulation let's say and then when we print money we're putting more money into active circulation so when you oversaturate it in at when it's in active circulation amongst the masses then yes you're going to get a, an inflationary effect because effectively there's more money um you're, you're there's more money going around in among those who are spending the money on an active basis yeah they're actually okay. moving it they're doing it. They're, they're moving it. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And so that's so that's and, and that's and that's what people, you know, so so there is a certain gap. So let's say if you know more of the wealth is moved up into the one percent and and that slows down, it really doesn't have high velocity, it just sits there. And the amount of money that is available to the masses, which has typically higher velocity, contracts putting more money in by printing to the masses doesn't necessarily affect the inflation because what you're doing is you're just expanding an already deflated balloon back up to where it was. Um, now, if you go beyond its limits, then yeah, that's when you're going to start getting into issues. Um, 
But in my opinion, what, what affects inflation more and what has been the case in this current circumstance is, um, I mean, and it worked like clockwork, you know, I mean, um, we saw inflation going up slightly before the war, but it wasn't okay. nearly as bad. You know, it, it yeah. really started running. Keep, 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 keep talking that talk because there's, I have other sources here. I just want to just jump in and offer this. Uh, Michael Gayed, who is the lead lag report editor, um, definitely pointed this out. It says the Iraq war ushered in modern monetary theory. It ushered in a Fed balance sheet that matched the total spent on war. It ushered in reckless spending. Inflation is a process. And so he cites this Brown EDU, Brown University. The cost of the 20-year war on terror, 8 trillion and 900,000 deaths. A, a report from the Cost of War Project at Brown University mm-hmm. revealed, that tw- revealed that 20 years of post-9-11 wars have cost the U.S. an estimated $8 trillion and have killed over yep. more than 900,000 people. So it's it's deadly and costly. And, um, oh, yes. And I know... Yes, I, I mean, <laughs> part of the largest, one of the largest parts of our national budget is uh, the war coffer. Um, you know, we, we have reckless spending at the Pentagon. I mean, the Pentagon hasn't been properly mm-hmm. audited ever um, and, and they refuse to be properly audited. <laughs> um, and and you know we, we, we shouldn't we, leave it up to them. Oh, we I know. shouldn't. I know. But, but the problem is, but, is we've got a congressional leadership that that basically begs begs money for the the war profiteering interest in their districts, and yeah. they have allowed these corporations, these large. Um, you know, financial centers and these corporations to become constituents legally. So, so, so back to what I was saying earlier, though, what I think has a greater effect, at least more recently, is, is you know, um, uh, oil futures, um, you know, anything, any futures that are related to the, uh, the energy industry, um, the, the, the cost of fuel. Um, and remember, you know, the cost of fuel went up significantly with um, with uh, the beginning of the war. And, and what did we see happen? Um, you know, it, it, it not only were we facing already an issue with the supply chain, but then we increased the cost of the one of the primary things that the supply chain uses to move all goods universally, which is gas. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's completely expected that in that prices were going to go up because um, you know, some of one of the you know a, a large segment of the price comes from shipping it, and so and so you know I mean a decent chunk of it. So what so what we're seeing is, you know, and and why did it happen across the board? Well, because again, shipping. Um, what I find interesting, and why and why I think this points to that being the, the root issue in this case, is because when I looked at goods. For example, goods that are local and produced local and didn't have to ship as far, the price increase was substantially less than the price increase of something coming from a long distance. So, like for the 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 growth, you know, the big grocery chains that were bringing in stuff from the coast, um, you know, spiked the most. But you know, uh, local local food producers and food vendors and other folks. Um, uh, you know, uh, regional producers and people who sell regional products didn't see a, didn't see a significant spike in cost. Why? Because they're shipping shorter distance. 
so the so the the fuel costs had a minimal effect. Um, so that's that's just my opinion. Like I, I that's and I, I you know other people have said that too. Have pointed to that that it's you know I, I think the supply chain has been the biggest motivator of inflationary action in you know in the past few years. Um, and and again, that's just because of we've we've had a labor shortage in terms of shipping, um, mm-hmm. which is which is stress the supply chains. We've had um, issues with uh, you know failing being able to acquire certain supplies in the chain because of. Um, Remember the know, lumber uh, shortage? There was a lumber well, yeah. shortage. Yeah, the about, lumber shortage was huge. Eight, yeah. eight, ten years ago, or eight, well, ten well, months no, ago. Eight, <laughs> eight ten months ago. Well, there was one, I think, a decade ago as well, too. But yes, yeah, so a few a few months ago, uh, I had friends who just dodged it by the skin of their teeth. They built their house right before uh, right before the limber. Let, uh, let me read this. Like, I feel like I I basically beat the fire. I mean, it was a really really tough market to get a home anywhere in the Austin metro region. People were just peeling off, you know, almost a million dollars to get, like, a a normie, like, four-bedroom home in Round Rock, which is Austin adjacent. And so, I mean, and this was happening all over the place, all over the nation. Like, there was the, uh, I don't know, this, this West Coast flight the real estate markets were really, you know, hostily elevated by all kinds of different reasons. But one was because there was a flipping of real estate in part by um, by an artificial drug inflation market. Meaning there, for instance, the Vancouver model, which is something that we've talked about on this program, um, foreign nationals who were drug dealers actually came in and purchased real estate and flipped it for exorbitant rates and then just kept it there to house casinos and conduct money laundering. Um, but they used the real estate market as a way to to bank their, their money. And so it would just sit there and swell in value and turn over coin and turn over coin. They kept it as they banked their money inside of the real estate as a fixed asset so that they wouldn't have to report it to, say, uh, the People's Republic of China. So that's one of the things that has bloated the West Coast real estate markets in San Francisco and Los Angeles and other big markets. Um, It's not happening as badly here. It's people who were fleeing those markets that raised the demand that the, mm-hmm. it's scattered out. It's getting less so now, but the frothy property markets are poised, poised for a double digit price decline as consumers face mounting financial pressures. And that was yesterday. So around the world, soaring borrowing costs are squeezing home buyers. So they've raised the interest rates. Now interest yeah. rates are so from Sydney to of course, Stock- so that's the Fed. That, that's the Fed is helping with that. Yeah, the Fed is, is is doing this. They are they're screwing it's malicious too on their part because they don't have to do this in order to fix the, in my opinion, to address the inflation. No, they All don't. Ways. But they've been they've been asked to to defer and defer and defer and defer. Oh yeah. But you know, now that it's really kind of hurting, uh, they said, well, we're just going to stick it to you anyway, I guess. <laughs> 
So from Sydney to Stockholm to Seattle, buyers are pulling back from as central banks raise the interest rates at the fastest pace in decades, sending house prices falling. Meanwhile, millions of people who borrowed cheaply to to purchase the homes during the pandemic boom face higher payments and loans as they reset. So the rapid cool down and reset or real estate is a leading source of household wealth threatens to worsen a global economic downturn. So while the slump so far isn't near the levels of 2008 financial crisis, however, the decline plays out is a key variable for central bankers eh, who want to tamp down inflation without hurting consumer confidence and triggering a deep recession. So already frothy markets such as Australia and Canada are facing double-digit house price declines, and economists believe the worldwide downsizing is only getting started. Quote, we will observe a globally synchronized housing market downturn in 2023 and 2024, said Hideki Hirata of Hosei University, a former Bank of Japan economist who's co-authored an international monetary fund paper on global house prices. He warns that the full impact of this year's aggressive Rate hikes will take time to play out for households. Go ahead. Well, something I also. Oh, go uh, ahead. Sorry. Well, something I also want to point attention to is, is people don't realize this, but uh, after the 2007 crisis, um, they reworked the rules um, and the laws so that basically the Fed can just, you know, fire the money cannon at the banks if the bank's internal loan market between themselves becomes insolvent. Yeah, and that happened um, right before the pandemic. And so this entire time for like the past three years, the Fed has just been printing money on hyperspeed to keep the banks uh, afloat. The, the, and, and it's this background market that was what crashed basically in the 2007 crisis. Um, well, the, there so- was definitely the, the, the mortgage crisis where it was like there was just no no money down don't have to owe anything you could be a homeless person and well yeah they they had they had money um but they were also speculating the money too and the problem was is when 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 they're when the market the mortgage market the housing bubble hit um you know all that cash that they had over leverage um and it was, a, it was a genuine and, bubble, and it burst, and, yeah. and it crashed the economy. Well, well and it didn't just, but it also crashed the the, the, the the background market that allows the banks to, to, to stay solvent on a day to day basis. And so the Fed, as part of that crisis, had to you know turn on the money mill and and and, and nobody that. says the name Ben Bernanke anymore, but I remember that guy. <laughs> yeah. And they, he probably they lost to, all of his hair. I mean, he was bald before, yeah. but man, he was really, really bald after that. Well, and so I'm just glad that BlackRock is getting cheaper houses now. Oh, right, <laughs> right, right. But, 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 yeah. So that's so basically, they went from having to like, you know, the government telling the Fed to authorize it to they have it basically now on automatic provision. So basically, that money, if, the, if, the, if that market like runs short and there isn't enough money for the uh, banks to, to, to uh, close out each day, um, they basically can just, it's, it's an automatic switch. The Fed just starts printing money. And they've been doing that basically yeah. to keep the banks afloat um, uh, for the past three years. 
And so, so, so everybody wants to talk about like, you know, oh, well they threw, yeah, they threw lots of money at the, uh, at, at the corporations. They threw lots of money at, at they're, they're just throwing lots of money at the banks. Um, there's, yeah, I mean, we're, I agree, you know, we've been printing money like crazy. The thing is, is how much of that has been going into the hands of the average consumer. And that's where it gets, that's where it gets funky. And that's why I said it, it's not all that money necessarily is affecting the the actual money velocity among average consumers and so we're not really feeling the the price hike effect from that but but that is still occurring in the background and uh and it's it's primarily propping up the banks and 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 the the stock market more than anything so but Anyway, well, let's let's um, let a couple other people have their say. I know that Blotty's been waiting for a while. He's he's a very polite man. He he wants to wait till others have stopped talking before he'll talk. So Blotty, if you're around and you want to unmute your mic and give me give me a minute, please. Okay, so Joshua, you're up there, and Charlie also wanted to contribute about uh, the war spending angle. Charlie, did you want to pipe up and say your say? You can you hear me? Oh, I can. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't mean to uh, derail the conversation with my comment. I was being no, you didn't. You're contributing. I I invited (laughs) you to contribute. Sure. Yeah, I was just making a joke about they'll they'll lay out every every reason for inflation, which are valid, but they'll lay out every reason. Oh, you went a little robotic on that last sentence. Can you repeat yourself? Hello? Oh, man. Charlie, you went a little robotic there. Okay, so Blotty's going to come back up. He's refreshing his microphone there. Yeah, so what I'm, they're going to eventually want to collapse the whole system. In order for the reset to take place, uh, New World Order, Deep State, uh, World Economic Forum, United Nations... In order to subjugate everybody in, in a socialist system, that's why socialism is so prevalent right now. People don't know what the hell they're even talking about. They're just running like idiots with it. Why? Because this is part of the reset. If you do not have docile, useful fools to fall for the system, they will not easily be able to indoctrinate you. So in order to have the class, you have to have cause the chaos. You have to collapse the current system in every Western country, especially the United States. In order from the from the so the, so the phoenix could rise from the from the embers from the, from the burning coals, <laughs> burning wood, the the phoenix of the new world it's, order. It's so yeah. dramatic. The it's new so dramatic. world. I, I know. I might be writing a novel. You know, make money off of that shit, and people would be stupid enough to buy it. But the whole thing is. In order for this whole thing to collapse, right now, Europe, through the pandemic, through its own problem, you cannot get more money out of Germany, which is the powerhouse right now, which or was, everybody's feeling, feeling the sting of the inflation. It's hurting their market. Uh, Europe has never had the, 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 the euro, their currency, under, below the United States, or equal to the, to the and dollar. And it is. It's down. It's, and it's it is, and it's going to continue to fall. And they know it. They, 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 but what? They continue spending all these programs, all these handouts. You know, give people as they're putting out their hand, even if they don't need it. 
Because there is people that don't need it and they're just getting that money. You're going to continue having these programs. I mean, this thing with financing uh, Ukraine, are, is Ukraine going to pay us what they, what they owe us in the war? No, I hardly no, doubt free. it. That's a free ride for them. Exactly. And it, it really pisses me off. Hey, I mean, Yoshi. I would agree if, if you're going to own Ukraine, Ukraine, comma, USA, you know, I would agree to that. Maybe. I, we don't need a Slavic country. I mean, they didn't talk to us about it. They just they just did this NPSM 13. They greenlit the, the money and they had a they had a cigar room deal. And they said, OK, well, let's spend it and then send the bill to Congress. See, that regulation needs to be reformed. And... Um, you know, that's why I've got lawn signs for Chip Roy in my front yard. <laughs> because he knows what's going on, and he won't let this crap happen, and he voted against it. Go ahead, Josh. Well, I would just, I mean, in regards to modern monetary theory, bringing it back to something, uh, it's, it is, the federal government is going to have a role, all governments have a role, in the spending of money into existence. And it's what they decide that that money, who to point the money cannon at. Is it their buddies and their clonies and their friends, either here at home or abroad, or is it for the people? And so a policy that based in MMT uh, can be leveraged to the good of a people if it's in the right hands, just like anything else. It's a tool. Now, I money is always a tool. Okay, yeah, and it depends on the tools that are using it. And when you have broken tools using tools they don't understand, which is what our government is, is broken tools. Like these people, I mean, I would not have people from nursing homes making decisions on a domestic or global basis, but that is the form of government that we have representing ourselves. Um, and the people that are underneath them benefit from supporting that um, by rolling them out a couple of times a day so that they can roll out a few crumbs off the table for a few of us to get by. Um, I'm not but, even sure that that's true, but I, I'm beginning to understand that part of that. You're, you're saying that it's disabled people that are, are holistically impaired. I don't see us as a holistically impaired state. I don't, I don't see the people of the United States who are, by and large, Well, the, a narcissism is an impairment. We have some... It, it it is that is a, that would push us towards what is the kleptocratic motive, but it isn't. Uh, if you are talking specifically right. about Biden, that makes more sense. Does is that whom you mean? Do you mean to cite Biden specifically as the nursing home? Uh, I mean, there's other. I would say there's. I mean, I don't know. I I'm I'm not. I, listen, I. We're not going to uh, that would go horribly wrong. No one quick. here will write you um, up for this, but, Joshua. Um, Nobody's going to string you up and say. I'm getting. I know. I'm just. I don't give a fuck. Like I, they can come and find me. I'm easy to find. Uh, but uh, I, I'm. I'm all for the demerits. But in regards to MMT again, I do believe that if you are paying attention that. And you're looking like three generations out, not just, you know, to the current politicization of issues, that climate change is a global issue that we need to fight on a global basis. And how governments spend money, how they get along, whether they decide to go to war with it for the benefit of arms dealers, or if they decide to do things here at home that create resilient communities, like we can have a role in that. But I'm an idealist, and uh, I am under-medicated. Okay. 
So um, we're going to invite Nate back up to the speaker rank, and then we're going to, you know, anybody who wants to, uh, you know, offer closing comments, uh, do so now because we got to wrap it up. Can you? Do I still sound like a robot? No, no, you're good. Go ahead. I just wanted to say it's funny. They'll list every reason for inflation except the real one, which is printing too much money. Yeah, there and you also, go. That's simple. Also the, too the simple funny, for the, the PPP loans, and and especially out here in California, the PPP loans and the unemployment benefits, the the extra stimulus. I mean, there were guys in jail getting like ten, fifteen unemployment checks. That uh, that's fraud. That is that is larceny. Against the taxpayer. I did see something that California ran out of U-Haul trucks today. So good news for all those people that want more Californians in their states. Great news. The U-Haul tax truck. The U-Haul tax. Oh, that's hilarious. Go ahead, Blotty. No, the, the thing what are you coming to Texas, thing, Blotty? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I got to get a U-Haul truck first. No, the U-Haul problem has been going on for three years, Josh. I don't know if you just barely caught on, but yeah, people have been leaving by the millions. A lot of them are leaving to Texas. So yes, I'll be there soon, Shayla. <laughs> okay, Nate, final thoughts. But, um, I, I just wanted to say something to, to Joshua or to Josh. It's, it's okay. You know, I think people are sometimes afraid to criticize uh, Biden, the rest of the Democrats, because they feel like it'll be some sort of, uh, you know, um, uh, sort of an, a, not an endorsement, but it'll be, uh, it's, it's a non, what is it? A non-zero sum. And I would say, yeah, and, and the, the Biden isn't Voldemort. You can say the, his name. The, the sooner <laughs> we stop thinking that way and we can criticize Biden and Trump in the same sentence and feel zero uh, guilt about that. I think I, I do. I mean, I, I, I do it. Just... I, I, I have absolutely no guilt. It's a matter. It's kind of like Beetlejuice. Like if you say it too many times, they continue to exist. Like I do want, like literally do not want them to continue to exist. Uh, but uh, it, the reality tells me that they continue to exist and they may actually be able to make decisions that could be good for the country, but that's never what they would decide to do because they've been bought and paid off like every other freaking president that we've had for the last, I don't know how many years at this point. Sorry. There's okay. A, there's a so, great, so, a great go speech ahead. By, there's, a, there's a great piece by Russell Brand. Uh, I really encourage you guys to look at it. Uh, it was, and it just looks at B uh, Biden giving a speech on bringing down prescription drug costs and I, I think it's incredibly telling of our system of government where it is right now to look at what he says and what he's pledging, what he says he's done and what is actually being done. And I think if we're honest with ourselves and we look at that, you know, we can start to get somewhere. But I think it's only until we say they're not going to do anything. It's going to be a gesture. Like you said, it's going to be crumbs. And the sooner we come to terms with that and like approach it with that in mind, I think the better the chance we will of actually enacting some sort of change that we all would uh, would accept or would, would think is honest. Because right now what's happening, it's not. Okay, so I, I want to circle back 
for like about 10 seconds at cash being legal tender i think cash is the answer i'm tired of walking up to um young people administrated enterprises um and not being allowed to walk away with a receipt a paper receipt not being allowed to uh to transact with with cash paper money um and this is by their choice and their administration and they're trying to push us towards an all-electronic um, survey. So I think that, that we need to co-advocate towards the younger, younger, the youngest generation, the one that's just coming in to the workforce, um, because in these smaller transactions, they are trying to make misery. misery. Um, they're trying to eliminate paper and... Um, negligible ways and uh, they're removing consumer choice out of the the outcome meaning they are deterrent to commerce they don't realize that they're becoming a deterrent to regular commercial transaction you know transactions that could ordinarily be automated they are inserting themselves and in, in getting involved uh, because of the paper they generate, it's it's small things like this that um, are going to pile up in the the catastrophe of a single day. So um, there's only so many um, micro obstructions a person can can endure before they just go absolutely bananas. So um, pay with cash or don't deal with them. That that's my my answer to the modern monetary new world order um, you know you know transactionalist you know assault that's happening through the brainwashing of young people into thinking any slip of paper is a violation against the environment uh, when in fact some of, most of it and many and much of it has been recycled but that doesn't matter they they're they're on a train to to think that they're going to revolutionize you and they're gonna they're gonna dictate towards you. So if you can't pay in cash, leave. That's the protest. So that's where I'm at, and I gotta wrap it. So thank you for joining everybody. This has been a great room. Uh, we'll continue tomorrow and uh, get on that back on that reputational train. See see how how many people we can trigger with the idea of of what to do about a character assassination. Till next time, ladies. And I'll gentlemen. see you next time. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access unsanctioned citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio podcasts, and call in. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.